1: Welcome to another edition of Tag the Roll. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Jake Rose. And Jake, how are you doing today, man?
0: Doing great. Uh, We're here to talk about uh, the most bittersweet game in college basketball, which is always the national championship. Um, It was really fun, honestly. It kind of looked like it could get out of hand in the first half, but Kansas fought back Game was tied multiple times within the last like eleven minutes. Um, so can't really ask for much else. Came down to the last possession. So I'm ready to talk about it all. Yeah, no, it was really fun. Like like you mentioned,
1: it looked like uh like it was just kind of cooked. Um, even with can with even with like a likely concussion, Brady Manic was still just shooting the lights out. <laughs> and it looked like it was going to be over at halftime. Uh, really good game, man. Um, I guess we can start with. Uh, I mean, let's just start with Kansas because. A, DeJuan Harris was insanely good. I posted the, uh, the Spider-Man meme with him and, uh, and Mario Chalmers. Um, like, I, I swear <laughs> to God, Kansas my entire life has always had a a menacing lockdown defender at the point who can set some stuff up in the half court. And as a shaky shooter, um, I mean, Dewan Harris now, Mario Chalmers, Marcus Garrett, like, just the the list goes Dodson. on and on. Like even I mean, yeah, Dodson Frank kind of Mason was like a shaky ass shooter too. Um, like it's the list goes on and on. Uh do you think I mean I don't I don't have the numbers right in front of me. How many transition points do you think Kansas scored? Because it felt like it was half their damn offense.
0: So I tried to find Synergy didn't break down uh the game yet. Like they shut the film mm-hmm. up, they didn't break it down like into play types. I tried to find stuff, I couldn't find anything because I was like incredibly certain like you said, at least half their offense came from transition. It felt like when they were in the half court, uh, they had nothing. And that was kind of what flipped the game on its head in the second half is DeJuan, his point of attack defense against RJ Davis kind of took UNC out of their entire offense. They forced Caleb Love into taking ill-advised pull-ups and they got super stagnant and then they got stops and getting stops allows you to run. And Kansas, where were they running in the second half to to start that game, Um, which was just, like the complete opposite of what we saw towards in the first half when North Carolina was, I mean, North Carolina was willing to run. I um, mean, it wasn't like necessarily they were staying out of transition, but North Carolina was scoring and they were getting back and forcing Kansas to play against a set defense. And and I think uh, that showcased a lot of flaws as we've spoken about. Um, I mean, I think in the Kansas, it wasn't necessarily anything new. Um, I mean, the first half, we were just like, this is sort of the team we've watched all year. I think it was a lot of what we talked about in the Creighton game um, when Creighton kind of forced them to play in the half court. And uh Dewam was really struggling in that game offensively, and Ochai and Brown were struggling as well to create, and they kind of just gutted it out through Remy Martin performance. Um, eerily similar again in the second half. But, uh, yeah, I think this Kansas team, like, we kind of knew who they were, and it was a tale of two halves again for them.
1: Yeah. No, it's funny, too. I don't want to say this is, like, what changed the game, but Leaky Black getting into foul trouble really hurt UNC um, because not that – I mean, UNC has really been predicated on being able to play big this year. Um, But that I mean, I don't want to say that they're not athletic or anything like that, but they don't have like the same kind of wings um, that Kansas is able to really put out there. And I think that's a lot of the difference. Um, Like even Jalen Wilson didn't score well yesterday, but like even then he was really damn good at pushing the break. I mean, Kansas ran a super small lineup with Jalen at the five um, that started to open some things up, too. so, yeah, I think that was – a yeah, we're, we're in lockstep with that. There's just a lot that, that made it harder on, on UNC as the game went on, especially as as Kansas was able to lock in defensively.
0: Yeah, dude, I think like UNC even having – I think I tweeted this, and I mean, so you like to reply, like UNC being in that game <clears throat> with the way their guard shot, if you would have told me the guards would shoot, what, I think it was like 10 for 40 or something like that, and yeah. one of 12 from three, if you would have told me that before the game, I would have told you they were lost by 20. Uh, there was yeah. – no scenario in which I could fathom them having a real shot at this game, let alone leading for the majority of it. Um, and which is kind of just testament to like, they kind of just figured it out uh, whether it was like Baycott didn't, it wasn't necessarily dominant either, but they made shots. They made the shots that really mattered in the first half. Every three that they got was like, that was like a potential big swing shot. They hit it. And uh, it just, it was a fun national championship game, um, but Dewan Harris deserves all the credit. And then I, I've been eating, a lot of shit for the past uh, 12 hours as my Remy Martin takes have been coming full circle as um, I was rooting for UNC and boy was he incredible during the stretch. Um, just ridiculous shot making stones. Um, he gave them the creation that they lacked on the half court and showed up absolutely big time in the biggest moment of the year for them.
1: And he was a monster defensively at points too. like he was like mm-hmm. killer. I mean, it was weird, too. I don't want to like totally undersell things, but. Um, Just a really rough Caleb Love game. Like, he didn't seem right. I think it felt like his ankle was bothering him at times, too, especially when he tried to get inside. Um, But five for 22 is just painful. Um, And the passing wasn't really there either. So, I mean, that it's it's just tough because he had such a damn good tournament run. Like, really put everything together as a shooter. Um, And it just, you know... Things fall apart at times, so it'll be interesting to see him back next year. Um, or if, if he comes back next year, I guess TBD on that. I don't know if I, I didn't see anything on him declaring last night or anything, but Mm-mm. um, yeah, uh, but I mean, I do have to say that Remy Martin, like, I think he was in uh, I want to say he was in the far slot, uh, in the second half and hit that like fading to his right, like, cross legged. Uh, step back that was like that was like the shot I was like oh okay Kansas is probably going to win this game <laughs> like that was nuts I mean
0: and like Raimi Martin in the first half, like looked like an absolute mess. Um, was like hesitant on a catch-and-shoot three that he had, banked his first make was a bank in three. Um, I, I thought he took a couple of long twos, and I'm sitting there with my friends and I'm like, let's, let's keep this rolling, let's keep this rolling. And then in the second half, um, boy, did those takes age like yeah. spoiled milk. Yeah. Um, the shot making, as I said. Um, but I mean, I do want to give a ton of credit to Dewan Harris as well. Like, he the point of attack defense in the first. Eight minutes, ten minutes of that second half. Um, it was just absolutely games, was a monster. I thought what do you force like yeah, absolutely four, it felt it.
1: like he forced like three or four turnovers in that, in that yeah. stretch? Maybe I more. mean
0: yeah, and, and just also things that won't show up in the box score. Like it you it felt like UNC wasn't even really starting their possessions until 15 or 12 on the shot clock because they would spend the first half of the shot clock trying to get RJ Davis the ball before they realized, oh, let's just not go near Dewan Harris. And then when RJ got it, um DeJuan did get away with a couple swipes on the arm and, <laughs> yes definitely um which friendly calls on him or non-calls you should say but um the ball pressure the intensity the hands the quick feet Um one of my favorite players in, to watch in college basketball not necessarily from a draft perspective but just to enjoy um am glad he kind of had a moment there but fun game um you want to talk about the prospects for a little bit because i think yeah. we noted uh not the best prospect showing uh i was kind of thinking back like when when was the last time we had like a crazy uh prospect game in like the national championship and then i was like oh 2019 jared colbert and deandre hunter um which was like a big primetime matchup we didn't really have the star power there uh in this game tonight but kansas does have two projected first round picks i think in christian brown and ochai Baji. um you want to talk about them
1: yeah um so it I don't want to just sound reductive, but, like, my mind just really hasn't changed on any of this with with them as the tournament's gone on. Like, um, obviously, Ochai had that monster game. when was that, Sweet 16, when he was nuts? Um, I the can't Final remember, Four. 16, about the, yeah, Final Four. Yeah, Final okay, Four. Final four game. Um, but I, I don't want to just say it was hot shooting. We'll get into it. But, like, um, mm-hmm. I mean, even yesterday, you saw how much – it, outside of straight line drives and even on some of the straight line drives he had some real handle issues um which I don't know I mean part of that's like uh we're, we're always going to get it with the with the national broadcast but like I uh, you know Ochai Agbaji just needs to take over this game I'm like when is Ochai Agbaji ever taken over the game by just going into isolation like that's not his game that's not who he is that's not what he does um so I didn't I mean I, I will say look, defensively he was fun. I, I think he he got beat a couple times, but, like, he had the, the pin was, on, on Caleb Love was, like, so, oh, man.
0: Yeah, he had some loud defensive plays. Like, he had the pin against Caleb Love. He had a really good peel in pick and roll coverage mm-hmm. where he like got her on the screen and then peeled off to, to the roll. And Caleb being ill-advised pass, but good play on OG. Um He had a really questionable missed X out um, to Brady Manick that I clipped this morning. Uh, which uh, which was not pleasant to see. And I, and, and he had another bad gamble. Um, I think, like, Ochi has some really good moments defensively, and then you want to lean in. You're like, you don't make those plays if you're not, like, a plus wing defender. But then there are just oh, some mind-boggling plays. Like, I think it was sort of represented on that end. Like, he had some really high-end plays, and then he had some really questionable plays. Like, there, the other one I'm talking about was you know, there was – He was kind of sinking down as his man relocated to the opposite corner and they threw an entry pass to Baycott and McCormick's fronting. And like he knew it was his responsibility, but he anticipated it. He moved on the right timing. And instead of just walling up and going straight up and contesting, and maybe Baycott makes it anyways, but you stay home, you stay solid. He goes to try to gamble for the steal, misses, and then Baycott got a layup. Um, So just like a wide array of defensive plays, but yeah, the pin was fun and he also had some steals, um, but it definitely something to track is just like the varied um the variance and like his plays on, on defense. Yep. No, for sure. And
1: like with some leeway too, like it's the national championship mm-hmm. game. Like it's I don't know. I'm sure there's, there's gotta be nerves and stuff involved too. But um yeah, I'm definitely there with you. Um but yeah, offensively, are you kind of in the same boat? Like I felt like um I mean, UNC was able, especially when when Leaky was playing, um, like as as we'll talk about with the final four too, like. Leaky Black was probably the best defender. It felt like the best defender in the tournament almost at some points, at least on the wing. Um, Like some of the stuff he was doing was awesome. AJ Griffin knows. Um, But I mean, yeah, where are you at with how Ochai looked offensively?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm completely in lockstep with you in the sense, like nothing really changed. Um, And I think when we look back on this, everyone will point towards the final four game. as like the poster game for Ochai. I'm not sure what it is. I have to circle back and go through some notes, but, it's not that, uh, like, as we will get into, like, it was a lot of spot shooting. The first three was pretty wild. Uh, like, to come out of the gates, like that, even you said, the final four national championship, you're shooting in one of the largest football stadiums in the world, and tw- 20 seconds in, you just come off and, like, completely turn your body, not even looking at the rim, and just gun it and hit on that. Like, it's You don't want to fully extrapolate things like that, but not a lot of shooters are doing that. I'm like, that's pretty noteworthy from a wiring perspective to me. And that continued throughout that game. But Villanova's, as I tweeted yesterday, Villanova's defensive coverages were like really shitty in that game. Um, complete overhelping, strong side cornered shooting the gap on pin downs just like everything that you don't do against shooters especially when they're hot they did so it was kind of just like spot shooting practice stuff in a football stadium I hit a couple you know put nice pull up and as I said uh that first one was pretty nuts from a shot prep perspective but I, I mean I was impressed with him as a shooter like he has real versatility and he does he is no conscious and it's like has a quick trigger and Kind of stands out in contrary to someone like Christian Brown, who we've been both been begging to shoot more. Um, and I think Ochai like has flashed like he had a nice one drill pull up in the, in, towards the end of the first half last night. Um, good straight line drive against Puff Johnson. But as you said, it's it's more simplistic stuff. But I think it's that's what you're getting from Ochai. Uh, you're not you're you're not getting a secondary creator. You're just getting a complimentary wing who, who a lot's going to rely on the shooting. But there's reason to be optimistic after uh, the season he's had, especially how he closed out. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's transition to talking about Christian because
1: um, he had a very rough start to the game yesterday, smoked like three layups at the rim, um, but then was really damn good defensively. I thought I thought he had a better game than yep. Oshad defensively, even if he, again, wasn't as loud, but um, was just really good in, in shutting down his man, uh, playing off the ball too. But then in transition, he was an absolute force. Uh, as the game went on, which is again, that's, that's kind of his thing. Like if it's, uh, I think I said you, I don't, I don't remember what the meme was yesterday, but I said you like, you know, if he's not in transition uh, it's like, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> like you know, him taking yeah. another shot. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, like the shot hesitancy continues to be a thing, which is frustrating. Like I don't, again, it's not this uh, boiled down and reductive, but legitimately like to me, if, Christian, were as willing of a shooter as Ochai, I think he's a better prospect. Like,
0: mm-hmm. oh, I, um, I, I, by the way, I don't think that's like a question. Well, it
1: it just feels reductive, well, down like that because yeah. it's a very real thing. Like, um, but that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about because I feel we've talked about Brown and Ochai a ton, but like with mm-hmm. with Brown, how. How hesitant does it make you that he's hesitant? Like, how, like, we had this, like, obviously it wasn't mm -hmm. to the same degree last year, but like we did this with Franz. And I know know. it's very different too. Like, I feel like Franz wasn't, he he was not this bad, in my opinion. Um, But it is like, it definitely, it definitely begs the question.
0: Yeah. It's, it's actually been one of the things that, and I think it's probably one of the more difficult things for people like us where you're not able to, Get access to like direct interview with the player, and like right. the weird thing is that like every every other aspect of his wiring and his demeanor is, is very the complete aggressive. opposite of a hesitant shooter. Like yeah. I love how passionate. I mean, we saw the clip yesterday yeah. of him just yeah. like losing it, which is hilarious. But like he plays with a ton of fire. Like he doesn't back down from anyone, and it's just all these wiring traits that are completely the antithesis of a hesitant shooter, especially someone who's damn good at it and like so it doesn't really just make it doesn't make sense to me versus like franz you spoke to people that were like close situation or it's like yeah he just like kind of does whatever coach tells him to do and like he's rather like obedient and franz was comfortable being a connective tissue piece for michigan and like yeah franz has the like i'm gonna punch on you mentality but like cv is probably even more aggressive and like Fiery than him. So it's really something that I think he's going to be an interesting case study. Like, why what's stopping an NBA coach from telling him just like shoot the damn ball every time you're open? Is Bill self telling him that now? I don't know. Um, I don't know. And it's like definitely gonna be something I want to like try to circle back with like, was this thing in high school or AAU? Um, because other than that, like the thing with Brown is he is gonna need to shoot it at a high level to me. Yeah, um. I, he's listed at 6'7". I don't think he's 6'7". I think he's probably more like as a two, maybe three size. I like the defense. As you mentioned, he was good at point of attack, stayed solid, um, has a good frame, and is a real, very real athlete. But um, the creation stuff isn't necessarily there in the half court. Uh, Brady Manic gave from some trouble at point of attack on multiple possessions, um, and, and you know he got walled off. In the half court um so it's a little bit more theoretical again when he's in the open floor using that athleticism getting all the way to the rim and capitalizing on that but i do think he really is going to need to shoot it considering the slashing such slash creation and like playmaking aren't necessarily super high level but like good enough if he's in a shooting role
1: yeah so i'll say like the obviously like we talked about the connective playmaking is really good like i think he's he's good at making passes from a standstill and whatnot but like it's more just OK, uh, like we talked about with the Creighton game, like, I mean, he could not get into the paint at all. Um, struggled a lot with turnovers. Um, and I think we saw that multiple times throughout the tournament as we have throughout the year. So it's again, just kind of the same thing. Like if he really shoots it, I'm super interested. But until then, I'm not sure what else to to really go off of with that. Um, you mentioned Brady. I have, Brady a, I have Ma- a quick. Oh, so yeah, go ahead.
0: I have a quick thing for you because, and we're going to talk about him later because he had a really good game in the final four. Um, mm-hmm. Where are you at with someone like Trevor Keels versus Christian Brown? Cause I think they're very similar in in the role that you would like them to play. Brown's a little bit bigger and obviously a more springy athlete, but in, in terms of a complimentary guy who ideally is going to space the floor and can attack closeouts and maybe run some second side actions. Uh, I think Brown's head is a shooter, especially in terms of, well, in terms of efficiency, um, I think Keels was definitely more willing. Keels I would say is a better creator, but maybe with a tougher projection considering the athletic limitations opposed to Brown, uh, where are you at with that? Cause I think that is a, a kind of fascinating comparison.
1: Yeah. I feel like this is something where like age comes in a little bit because it's like, if, uh, cause we've talked about this a bunch too. Like, I think if, if they were the same age, maybe I would feel more leaning in towards Christian Brown, but like, because the hesitancy thing has been an issue for a little bit now, like, like, it's it definitely is like, eh, you know, it, it's something that gives you pause. But for me with Keels, like knowing that he has like the very real um, like the the very real background as as an elite shooter. Um, I think I'm more willing to buy into that almost uh, because if he's able to really lean into that and we saw again, like you mentioned with the willingness this year, um, like he was arguably the second best playmaker. Not arguably. I mean, I think he was for most of the season he was probably the second best playmaker on Duke. Um, at least getting downhill because I mean, Powell's game opened up, but it was mostly Wendell Moore for them this year. But, um, like his ability to get inside, and it, again, like even like we'll talk about him too, but he was really fucking good in the final four with some of the craft finishes he had on the inside and just his ability to, um, to affect the game in the half court. So, I do think I would probably be a little bit more in on Keels. And he's somebody who I, I released like a, a mock on my Patreon. Uh, last week. And I think after thinking about it, I, sh- I'm, I'm higher on Keels than I had him originally. Like, I think, you know, like thinking about it more, more, uh, in terms of like taking into account some of, um, his pre-college sample and, um, just noting what he does as a prospect. Like, I think I, he's somebody I should be higher on, but yeah, that, that's, that's where I'd be on it right now. What about you?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think I'd side with Kiel's as well. I just think that the creation is more real, even if on paper or projection wise it's not as seamless of a transition right like you were prone to bet on the athlete but i think keels is a better handler and just kind of knows how to use his tools uh, like he in the final four game especially and i don't want to fully I, like i don't want to fully talk about it now but like he wasn't wasn't like he was generating standstill advantages and getting all the way to the rim he was using his frame creating a little bit of space and relying on touch and playing through the strength and touch combination has some finishing craft Obviously, he's going to need to shoot it, and um, I think that's, like, abundantly clear, and I think an NBA team is probably going to put a lot of stock into the workouts and how he shoots there, but I I do like the willingness. Uh, I think the secondary playmaking is much better than Brown. Uh, Obviously, Brown offers some more athleticism, some open-floor stuff, but I I just want to pose a question because I do think there are guys who are, like, going to play some role, but you want to talk about Brady Manick?
1: Yes, yes, I was hoping we'd (laughs) be good. I did not expect Brady Manic to just come out and be like an incredible rim protector yesterday. Like, he was really good. Like, um, I don't, I think there are some people getting a little bit uh, amped up about Brady Manic's draft stock. I don't, based (laughs) on anything that I've heard, seen in my own opinion, I don't think he's really a draft guy. But I mean, he's somebody who's going to get a shot because of how good of a shooter he is. Like, this tournament, I, I mean, he was the best shooter in the tournament, felt like. Just about like had to be close. Um, I mean, he, he had some wild shit off of movement. Um, it felt like at times, like not that he was UNC's best player, but he came up really big for them in a lot of moments that they just didn't have anybody else who was going to do that. Um, but again, defensively yesterday, I was like I was kind of blown away. I was not very ready for it.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, he was. By the way, I don't know how he like survived. Uh, he was. He was a punching. I bag swear to God. <laughs> yeah. like,
1: his, his. eye – He went
0: like. Whoa. I mean, like that. By the way, I'm. I am glad that uh, the refs didn't call that a flagrant. Like totally. Yeah, it was clearly not him.
1: In, not not and,
0: and like I'm glad that they didn't conflate uh, the force in which he got hit with with something like an intentional, like completely just freak accident. But boy, did that look like it hurt. Um, and then he caught another one a few minutes later and i'm just sitting there with my friends like, oh my god like where how does this guy know where he is Uh, but he's he stayed steady for them and was really good all night uh you want to talk about uh unc's probably best long-term prospect at least it looked last night uh puff johnson yeah go for it he was fun he was super fun and uh when they needed a big boost it's it's really funny you see like just little plays, especially for someone, a young guy on that stage. Like he, I mean, he got in the game, and he was giving the good minutes from the jump, but looked a little bit overwhelmed. Obviously gets that put back right before half, and you can just tell that kind of like just gives a young guy in that stage just a little confidence boost, and he came out playing in the second half. Uh, Leaky was in foul trouble, which, as you noted, like would typically – and did give them certain trouble. Obviously, Puff did good things, but didn't – like their sh- – didn't fully fill all the gaps and what Leaky brings to the table, but uh hit a big time three, really good finish uh through contact and at the rim and transition. Uh obviously Cam's little brother, so six eight shooter. It doesn't take very long to see the resemblance in just terms of looks between them. Um and there were but you Cam wore 14 at UNC. Cam wore he either 13 or 14 I I think it was 14 I can't remember because I remember they had the same type at
1: UNC too because Cam had had the same type of fade um yeah um I don't have like a ton to add on to that but he was definitely interesting um it was cool to see just the way that he played sucked that he uh like literally exhausted himself (laughs) on court (laughs) uh been there uh not fun um But, yeah, no, he played a a good game. He was fun to watch. Uh, I I felt a lot for Armando Baycott. Like, I don't, again, like, other than Brady Manic, who else got the shit kicked out of them more this tournament than Armando Baycott? Um,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Hope that he's feeling okay today. I think that it – was it the same ankle that he injured in the Final Four or was it a different ankle? Yeah. Same Same ankle? ankle? Okay. Um, Yeah. I mean, he was somebody, too, like, I I really enjoyed watching him in this tournament. Like, he just, Mm -hmm. like – in my opinion like not like i mean somebody who will probably get like a summer league deal or something at some point but um just a really fun player to watch like he leaves it all out there clearly that that uh, one of the best rebounded performances i've seen uh, was i thought he was oscar sheway for a second in the final four um shout out to the national player of the year oscar sheway but um yeah no this this unc team was really fun man
0: i was just gonna say i want to give a quick shout out to the unc team because like especially last night you have Caleb Love tweaks his ankle on, like, just again, complete freak accident. No one's near him. He just takes a bad step. He's clearly not 100%. um, We're taking a guard who is obviously already lacking in vertical explosion and putting a bum ankle on him in some retros. Probably not the most ideal situation. Uh, Leaky Black's in foul trouble. Puff Johnson's throwing up on the court. Brady Manick is likely in another dimension. Mondo is clearly hobbled. and. They just like almost gutted the thing out. And um, obviously, you know, got to give credit to Kansas, the, the national champs. But um, at UNC, they run they had, um, and it was really, they, you know, they almost won the game despite not doing what got them there, which was nuclear shooting. Every game leading up to that, it was just nuclear pull-up after pull-up after Brady Manic relocation three with a hand in his face. And that stuff all kind of betrayed them other than a couple of Brady Manic threes. Love and RJ weren't there. And still, despite all the injuries, despite all the tough shooting, almost found a way to get it out and like gave us a damn good national title. So definitely want to give a shout out to the UNC team uh, for that. Definitely. Well, you want to move to talk about the final four now? Yeah, because had I said it before in the pre-show, like it kind of feels like forever ago at this point, but uh, despite the Kansas Nova game turning into like, 15 point win. I thought it was a good game and like Nova hung around and then came back with some real punches. Um, on the rewatch, there were a really couple moments where it felt like they could have really like won, not won the game, but like made it real, real close. There was one where they were down, I think down like seven and Caleb Daniels or Brandon Slater had like an, a three that went in and out. And then all of a sudden they're like, eh, four point game with eight minutes left. Just a bunch of what ifs in that game. But uh, any of the Nova guys catch your eye as uh, potential prospects? Because we already talked about the kittens, people.
1: Yeah, uh, Slater and Samuels have been interesting to me this year. But, again, like more just – they're guys I want to do, like, deeper dives on. Um, but I I don't have, like, a ton of Nova thoughts. Um, like, I think Justin Moore was probably the most interesting guy that they have. And, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, just he got injured. Shit happens. Um, I hope that he's okay. Um but I mean, that, that Nova team was fun. Like I, uh, I, I, I always have to like look at a different lens when I watch Villanova. Cause I don't typically enjoy their brand of basketball. Um, yeah. I, like, I think I texted you during that game like, Nova is really just like running five, six, seven, super stiff athletes who all make really smart decisions. And that's kind of their, their brand. And, uh, it just, I don't know. I it felt like their game plan was hopefully the Kansas just not shooting well, but that, that, that was a, was a gamble. Definitely not the <laughs> case. <laughs> I consider. Well,
0: what did Kansas start? Like seven of seven of 12 I, from three or something. I like think that. seven. I, I mean, it was, nuts. they might have, they might've been seven from 10 from three yeah, at like, the time. If I'm remembering a graphic correctly, which is yeah. nuts.
1: And I mean, credit to Kansas too. Cause their defense was, was monstrous. Like Colin Gillespie um, was, was going through it in that game. Like, He kept just calling for a screen and like flip the screen, rescreen, do something because I can't fucking get anywhere. Like that was very fun to watch. Like again, just shout out to Dewan Harris because he was nutty. Um, do you have any other thoughts on this game? Because I think we are we already Mm. echoed some of our C V
0: and I thought. Yes, I mean, I, I hate pigeonholing players into Europe because, like, you never know. Obviously, you might have a cup of coffee in the NBA and stick around. If Colin Gillespie like ends up in the early league, I feel like he's just going to just be an absolute monster. Yeah. Um, He is a wild shooter for a guard. I say
1: uh, I will say like he's Ryan has hung around the NBA, and Gillespie's a better player than him. In my so opinion.
0: Gillespie, what I would say I would say I agree with you. I, Gillespie as an Archdiakinos stand in college, R, uh, Gillespie's better. You um, heard I it here think... first, folks. Jake Rosen, <laughs> Ryan
1: Archdiakno stand.
0: So, I have a, I have a Ryan Diacono jersey from China. So Jesus Christ. Um, and so Gillespie's a better player, uh, two-time Big East Player of the Year. Um, I think Arch might have won it like his senior year, but mm. Gillespie undoubtedly a better player and like carried a bigger usage load, was a better score. But yeah, yeah, we don't need to go on. I do think there is like something to be said for Arch's like role being somewhat more attainable as like a backup guard a point. who's just a t- who's just a table setter and like plays good defense and you know isn't necessarily demanding the ball to take tough shots versus Gillespie's like a,
1: I'm gonna post the shit out of you and yeah a like a slight that, yeah. like a
0: like a slightly yeah. worse Peyton Pritchard from an NBA perspective just because the handle isn't like that um and so I think that's in, like an interesting point when comparing the two but yeah Gillespie's 100% better I, I wish he was like 6'5" and then could just be like run off a million screens and be max gross, but uh, he's six Um, so, but thoroughly enjoyed college Gillespie's college career. I do think Slater is interesting. If he decides to enter uh, the shooting historically in college has not been great. Uh, as someone who watched him on high school, I'd be curious to get a hand on those numbers because anecdotally, he was a pretty good shooter uh, for Paul, the six and in the circuit with team takeover, uh, the handling stuff uh, is tough sometimes, uh, like forces it, the handle's loose. Um, the finishing was a little mad, but he showed up big time, especially as a shooter, and the defense is really fun. Uh, he's good, really good on the ball, super active off the ball, buys into his role, um, obviously lanky on the perimeter. So, I mean, he's something that I, I'm definitely keeping an eye out for in this year's draft, maybe would be worth a second rounder. Um, I think I'm a little bit more interested in him than Samuels because yeah, Samuels is more like, I don't know what to think of his
1: shot, but he is still, yeah, to yeah. me, he is an interesting player, but yeah, it just depends.
0: I think I trust Slater a little bit more because I think of him as like a win. Like I think Slater can be a wing, uh, like not in terms of creating at all, but mm-hmm. defending wings and spacing the floor, like a true wing versus Samuels is more of a four to me. Uh, and I wish the shot release was like a little bit quicker and offered a little bit more versatility I'm not sure the scoring translates as seamlessly, but again, productive players made a ton of strides, especially offensively throughout his career. So fun Nova team. Uh, again, I really wish they had Justin. Uh, they clearly missed him, especially early in that game. It was like really obvious that they missed having their second best creator and shot maker on the floor. So I definitely wish for obviously for his sake and um, for Nova's sake that they would have a fair shot to be healthy and compete, but uh, Kansas, Shot the lights out and play damn good defense, and that'll usually get it done. Oh, I'm trying to think
1: is this Villanova team? Were they is it okay? So, if you remove Mitch Lightfoot and Jalen Coleman lands, uh, this is the old, this was by far the oldest team in the tournament, right? Like, I'm trying to think, like, Miami, Miami, ever, oh, true. I uh, never mind. Yeah, Miami, I think Miami's
0: three. average starting line of age is like 23 years old, which is Jesus nuts. <laughs>
1: that, <laughs> but Miami no. team. Okay, I gotta ask you though about the seating. How did you feel about the way that? The seeding shook out. Like I know this is going way, way back, and it's easy to do retrospective stuff, but um, it just felt like UNC and Miami were clearly better than eight and ten seeds at the time,
0: and they had bad volatility. What I will say is, like the ACC's resume was not great, that is and like the ACC was kind both of, of those teams. Like, like this is the same, and obviously, few things have aged as poorly as this with three elite eight teams and two Final Four teams. Is like the hashtag one bit ACC. Um, that was trending around January, yeah. early February-ish. But when your whole conference is kind of viewed as shitty and then you lose to teams that are, like, in the middling and towards the bottom of your conference, those are bad losses. Um, like, you don't have the luxury of being in the Big 12 where your role boss is usually not that bad because every team is relatively good. And uh, I think the ACC's obviously have more talent than we anticipated. But in terms of resume perspective, like, I don't know if it's fair to say they're under Um I just think they all started playing really well, especially UNC. Like you UNC was obviously not playing like an eight-seed. And this is why the, the committee job is like so tough. It's like UNC was not playing like an eight-seed from the moment that they beat Duke and Cameron in Stadium, but yeah. their resume was that of an eight-seed. Um, so yeah, super tough. I, I thought um Baylor caught a raw draw in, in their region. Um, especially seeing them, same could be said for Gonzaga. You know, Memphis was was Memphis playing like an eight seed at that time? Probably not. Um, but did the resume say so? Likely. Um, but I don't know. It's tough to defend the committee when Houston was a five seed. So we'll, we'll end it there.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I just want to bring it up. So I know a lot of other people had, had mentioned it too. I I'm, I'm there with you. Like, it's really hard to do some of this stuff. Like same thing with like, okay, if you want to pull Ohio state, like Ohio state was probably better than a seven seed If, but, again, injuries was bullshit this year. Injuries happen, like, and that's part of what happens. It's going to be the same thing that happens with the NBA playoffs. Like, what happens throughout the year is what gets you there, you just deal with it when you get there, and there's not really a lot you can do about it because otherwise you're discounting a bunch of things that did happen and and resulted in the seeding. So we're in the same boat. Uh, do you want to talk
0: about Carolina Duke? Yeah, I mean, that – you kind of knew it. I mean, we like I wrote about this uh, in my little thing for Cerebro. It, it kind of just felt like a game of that magnitude. We'd never seen it before. Obviously, you'd seen one versus two or one versus one. Uh, obviously, like the Kentucky team that um, was undefeated heading into the final four, but none felt like they had like the non basketball implications of this one, which is like the two most bitter rivals in college basketball meeting for the first time in the postseason, Coach K's last game, potential number one pick on one side. Uh, scorching hot team on the other that had also just ruined their senior day slash Coach K's last game in Cameron. Like there were so many variables that just made this game so so big. And when you have a game of that magnitude, like all you can do is hope that the actual game, the actual basketball, lives up to it. And uh, boy, did this one live up to it! Like what a game! Um, just heavyweight punches on both sides. Uh, I I thought Duke probably should have won the game still, uh, and I thought they did some things that. I, I don't want to say out of character, but just betray themselves a little bit, uh, betray their best player a little bit, even though he did struggle down the stretch. And you, I don't want to be naive to that. Let's talk about this game because uh, UNC definitely, uh, I mean, obviously Caleb Love making that shot over Mark Williams, um, but there were some questionable things that happened in the game. I, I want to hear what your thoughts before we like fully dive into it.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, have, I have many. Um, if we had to power rank the prospects in this game and the games that they had, I don't know. let see that. That seems unfair, but I mean, obviously I like Powell had probably the best game. Mark will second Wendell third, AJ. I'd
0: put, I would put, by the way, I put, I put keels at two.
1: Oh yes. My bad. I'm thinking guys who started not off the bench, but um, this was a very rough, rough game for, for non Palo Mark will prospects and, and, and keels too. Like, Point being, Wendell Moore and and AJ uh, really struggled. Like, I think, to be fair, like, Wendell missed a couple of uh, just easy looks around the rim that I think he would normally make. Um, But Baycott was really good on the inside, too. Um, But AJ, like, I think somebody asked me, like, what the hell happened to AJ Griffin in that game? And I was like, leaky black. Like, And I think you saw Mm -hmm. some of the um, issues a little bit. So where are you at with how AJ played in that game and why he
0: struggled? Yeah, I mean, well, Leaky gave him a ton of trouble in, the, in their last game. Uh, after AJ went absolutely crazy in the Dean Dome, uh, Leaky was on him for the next one and gave him trouble. And uh, it's everything that would give AJ fits. Um, AJ is super slow. Like this is something we've talked about. He doesn't have a lot of downhill burst and the handle – while he has some flashes of, of creation, it's mainly east-west and side-to-side stuff. It's not necessarily getting north-south and downhill and gaining an advantage on your on-ball defender. And uh, the shots just didn't fall. I mean, he AJ missed. It ultimately came down to like, him just missing threes that sometimes he makes. Um, but the misses were weirdly all over the place. Um, had a couple of bad ones that I, I took note of but i think the on ball stuff like aj has had a lot of games similar to this where he just gets completely shut off on the ball but he typically makes threes to kind of buoy his performance and what he brings to the table because obviously the main selling point of him is the three point shooting the three point shot just wasn't there and i think you kind of i think it, i don't want to say it gave me cold feet because this is kind of what we've been talking about the past couple months, but it, I think might give some people cold feet of like, Hey, what is it? What does it look like when you're faced with NBA athleticism on the wings? And like, I just want to say, I hate when people say like, Oh, NBA, athleticism. like Leaky would be like a good wing. Def- like Leaky like, is I a actually legit think wing defender. Like
1: he's somebody who I think boosted his stock a little bit in the tournament, just getting to play mm-hmm. against a bunch of NBA prospects. Like um, again, a lot is going to be canny and Willie shoot, but also yeah. like he's a quality ball handler and passer for his size. Um and he's really damn good defensively, like you mentioned. Like I think he's Incredible. he's going to get it. He's, he'll probably be an undrafted two-way guy, but I mean it's possible he goes in the second round too. Um, mm-hmm. just given that a lot of deals get struck before you know with guys not uh not, not actually going in the second round. But um, yeah. point being, like
0: real legit Re- NBA. That's rotation. an NBA. Yeah. I would say like NBA rotation level defender if yeah. not like good nba wing defender um it, like if it wasn't for the offense and we could sub offense defense leaky would be on an nba floor to play defense so i don't want to just say like oh he saw length and size for the first time and couldn't do anything like leaky is very legit i don't want to take anything away from them however the ajg creation stuff was non-existent in that game and there's like kind of no way else around that uh I thought he was a little bit of an afterthought. You know, Duke has gotten into a really good habit of running him off these pin downs where defenders are forced to lock and trail because of the shooting. And he's able to get downhill against slow-footed bigs. We didn't see a ton of that. Uh, they didn't really leverage him. It felt like it was a lot of Iso Paulo, um, Keels creating off-closeouts, and Wendell more in the half court. And part of me do wish, part of me wishes that they would have kind of gotten creative and getting AJG involved and leveraging his shooting to kind of bolster the creation rather than... Letting Wendell Moore rock out, but it, it goes to show you that if you're going to use a top six, seven, four even five pick uh, on someone, there are real limitations there. Well, I do think it's tough, too,
1: because I don't I don't want to say that I don't entirely agree about Wendell Moore rocking on the half court, but it was more like Jeremy Roach could not get anything going in this game. And that was again, that was part of Duke's success was. Jeremy Roach looking like prospect Jeremy Roach in yep. um, in most of the tournament and he kind of got shut down um struggled missed a bunch of stuff at the rim didn't, didn't didn't I don't think he hit a single three in this game if i remember he was exactly. over 5 from 3 which yeah. was big um, which was not good obviously got yeah. to the line a little bit but still that wasn't enough um so yeah like you mentioned a lot it just kind of devolved into Paolo isolation and when Wendell trying to get stuff going out of pick and roll which was just not working um, can we have the win on more discussion? Cause I know I'm higher on him than you are. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I still just see it with him as a prospect at a, at a high level, like reasonably high level. Like, I think taking him like between 20 to 25 is fine with me. Like, I really like him as a secondary wing in the NBA, probably not a starter. Um, but somebody a, a lot will depend on the shot. And I think if I had the same background of watching him the last two years before this, um, I maybe wouldn't be as high on him, but I do think – so I'm not helping my case here, but, like, I do believe in the shot. Like, I believe in him getting to a one- or two-dribble pull-up on the inside. I believe in him coming off of the pin down and hitting from the corner. I believe in him in re- relocation. Like, I thought he was really good in the Texas Tech game, even if he wasn't, like, um, incredible. But like, I think he only had, like, 12 points in the Texas Tech game, but was really good in transition, did a lot of stuff moving off the ball that I think um, – made me feel even better about him as a half court player or not even better, but like re solidified some of that for me, obviously does not need to have 24, 25% usage and won't have that in the NBA. but I do think like once you saw Duke actually getting into stuff that made more sense with Paolo initiating from the mid post or, you know, like, especially in the, that second half of the Texas tech game, a lot of it was, okay, Palo is going to – like, we're, we're doing – they they opened everything up out of elevator screens in the second half to get Paolo the ball, which I just wish they'd done in the first half, but, you know, point being. But once they started doing that, I felt like things made more sense in the half court. The defense, not good. But so, we'll to talk about that with Paolo, too. But, yeah,
0: go ahead. So, um, Wendell Moore, our friend Zach Miller made a really good point that's kind of stuck with me, and I try to stay away from the comps. But, like, this one, I think it's real, and, you know, it's kind of – so he said there's a lot of things, obviously different players, different skill sets, but comparing to someone like Ayo Desumu uh, in, in terms of as someone who didn't think Ayo was necessarily an NBA player, boy, have I been wrong, especially in his rookie year, because you get so caught up in, is he on the ball? Is he off the ball? Is he going to shoot it? Uh, he's not necessarily creating advantages, but like Point being, he's just a really damn good complimentary basketball player who like figures it out knows when to pick his spots, can get to the rim. And like, if the shot's falling, it's just going to be another good player to have a, as a cog in your rotation. And I do think there is something to be said if Wendell Moore's shooting is real for him to do that. And just like, be a wing who, if if he ropes into sec- some second-side pick-and-roll, I trust him to maybe do that. Uh, attacking closeouts, getting downhill. What I will say is the slashing is super real. Uh, he is really good finishing craft, knows how to use length around the rim, has a decent frame, can absorb contact. Um, I, I, am, I think the passing, I think I overrated it a little bit in the beginning of the year. He isn't necessarily like a plus-plus passer, and I tend to find that he misses some reads that I wish the, a wing of his archetype would make. I do want to talk about the defense, but like offensively, if he's going to shoot as well as he is, I, I do think there could be a pathway for him. I'm not saying he's going to be I.O. I'm not saying he's going to be on a first or second all rookie team like it looks like IO is going to be. But it, it's kind of in the same vein of these high usage college players getting scaled down and being and allowing them to then pick the spots more rather than kind of overextending them because their teammates, they not have teammates that could bend the defense or create um uh, let's talk about the defense, though. Yeah, because this he, will
1: this will filter into talking about Paolo too. Um, yeah, like the defense from 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 Moore is not good. The off ball is bad. Um, I do he, think he can be okay in the point had, attack, but his screen navigation isn't great. Um, off ball, it's his frame, um, but also it's just
0: it's not good. Yeah, off ball, uh, and perhaps one of the, the second biggest shot of the game. Um, obviously, Caleb loves pull up three, which will be played for years, decades to come. Um, mm-hmm. the one before that. Brady manic small loop relocation, just rising from the corner to the wing. And that's Wendell Moore wasn't fully asleep. It was able to recover and contest a little bit, but that half a second late, half a second of ball watching, allowing Brady to, to re- relocate. And obviously, we know all he, he needs a sliver of space. I don't want to say that like epitomize everything, but on the second biggest defensive possession or, or third, cause they had one more in between that yeah, it was of Duke season. Um, he fell asleep at the wheel for just long enough. And I was kind of just watching it live. And it's like, damn, it's like the one thing you can't do um, when you're guarding and the defender is getting someone to the paint and you're in that strong side corner, you got to stay alert. And uh, he lost them. And it was a big time shot from UNC.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's the kind of thing where, like, I i don't, I don't know, like, this is why I want to leak into talking about Palo, too, because I know the big talking point is going to be the defense with him. Um, and I, like, I don't know, I think to me, the defense almost matters more for Wendell, um, or Wendell, I should say. Geez, I'm, I'm so more. used to talking about what?
0: No, way more. Like, yeah, it's just because we're going to talk about the, we're going to talk about the Palo. Thing.
1: Yeah, we we'll, will, but, um, in terms of just like talking about college translation from, from, for defense to, to, to the next level, um, I don't know. It like, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where I'm at with that. Cause we just have seen some guys go from like kind of shit defenders in college to like, oh, hey, like I'm put in, in a better scheme and I look a lot better and I'm in a smaller role and I am actually, you know, kind of giving effort now. But, Um, not that guys don't give effort, but I I don't think Wendell's issue is, is effort, but it's just like, which that's part of the problem too. Like he's just, he's falling asleep on stuff. Like, like I, I'm trying to remember who brought this up with Donovan Mitchell, but like, I don't think it's that Donovan Mitchell is necessarily like actively not trying to play defense, but he just ball watches a lot. Like that's how he does things. Like he... That's sometimes just how guys see the floor, and it's not its not necessarily just the, oh, this guy isn't trying thing. Like, I'm going to effort my way to being a good defender at the next level. Like, it's not that simple. Um, so, again, for Wendell, who is not bringing the same offensive value, definitely is uh, is more troublesome. Um,
0: but – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just want to harp on like, – it's such a good point, is that, like, we always – think of defense as effort-based and while you could 100% go from like being a bad defender to like maybe passable if you really give a shit like we do know that Uh, there is a certain effort and engagement when that comes with being a defender especially like on the ball off the ball screen navigation but there's like skill that goes into this there's a reason why like the best defenders are consistently the best defenders and it's like always a little bit weird to me it's like we talk about court mapping and playmaking as like, they're just, there's an upper echelon of NBA players that can make certain passes because they see things that everyone else doesn't in the timing that no one else does. And like the same thing goes for defense. You make rotations, you make reads and yes, maybe they're more scheme scheme based and teachable and you can premeditate them a little bit more, but like Wendell's just not necessarily seeing these things. And I think this is like a good translation into Paulo because Paulo is high field. Like, this is, Paulo is a high field basketball player. The pitch for Paulo when he was in 10th grade was a two-way defensive-minded secondary rim protector who was extremely efficient on offense. We've now turned into, like, this mega creator who is taking pull-up threes, and, like, it's blowing my mind of how skilled he is. The defensive effort was bad. Like, that, I'm not saying, like, Paulo was bad defensively. There were many, like, there was one clip I pulled of him, like, Attempting to close out transition is just like terrible and that's in the final four in like the biggest game of his life. So yes, I I understand why that might make you feel uneasy, but like in the nicest way possible like I don't give a shit like it's. that's not why I'm drafting him. And that's not why if you pass up on Paulo and the offensive upside and what he could potentially bring to the table as a creator and in my mind, a scalable superstar based on his ability to be a role man, be a pop man, play out of the mid post. Now the willingness to shoot catch and shoot threes as he's shown the quick closeout attacks. Like, we are talking about a potential superstar that I don't know who you put on him to guard. And I want to talk about how we maximize him offensively and a little bit after this, but like the defensive stuff, just like am I supposed to care? Like, is that what's is that if you are passing up on Paulo for another prospect because you think the defense. Is going to be that big of a problem. Like, I just don't agree with the process in the well, nicest way possible. My
1: thing would be more of like, uh, maybe it's just how people are coming about um what their issues are with the defense. Cause to me, it seemed more like people don't think that it's not that, that he's not trying, which I think you and I are like see it the same way. Like, I don't think that he was trying defensively, at least not to that level. Um, I'm not really worried about his lateral quickness or um his. Lack quote unquote lack of rim protection. Like I do think like when he shows it, he has good moments of verticality, um, can be good around the rim. Not obviously he's not gonna be a primary rim protector, but that's not it's not his goal. Like, I don't really care if he's able to play the five defensively. I know some people will disagree with that. I just don't really see I think we get way too obsessed with can he can he play the five? It's like just it's very annoying to me, but um like I just think like watching him, it's never a, oh, I can't move laterally or anything like that. It's more like, oh, well, I took a really shitty path on this closeout or I didn't go full go on this closeout. And that's why I'm getting blown by. And he's
0: never in a stance. I don't think he was in a stance once in that game. He was, he's been largely disinterested in the defensive side of the ball this entire year. And like, well, I'm not washing my hands of that being, an issue. I well, just it's think the kind t- of
1: thing where it's like if he'd never shown defensive interest in his prep career, then I think you're more concerned. But like considering that, like, like we talked about with PD in that episode in December, like, I mean, his he came about as a defense first prospect. And um, so I'm I just it's not something that I'm really that worried about. And maybe this will bite us in the ass in two or three years, but I I don't think so. And I'm willing to bet on that
0: not biting us yep. in the ass. I agree. I, I totally agree. And like it's this is always it always comes back to this. Like I, man, I just wish we could have seen a summer of AAU with these guys because Paulo kind of went from uh, his is and you can watch the O'Day stuff, um, City of Palms when he was a junior, played A.G. Griffin, played Archie Davis, Ar- Archbishop back played an IMG, I think, and was operating in the post, ran a couple of pick and rolls just because O'Day didn't really have a couple of ball. And like, was a secondary rim protector, was a low man playing playing the four, and then the next time we saw him was for BFL prep. Um, I think he might have played, like, a game or two with Rotary, uh, but not necessarily in the context of EYBL and competition levels and things of that nature. With BFL prep, basically just telling him to be Carmelo Anthony and, like, running up and down, and while we've seen that that can be advantageous in some areas like i think it broke stride like paulo hasn't played defense real defense in like two years maybe more and like i think you know pd wrote earlier uh, that you know the passing it wasn't there and then all of a sudden it was there like paulo didn't forget how to pass he just needs to remember how to and like you do that through live game reps i don't think paulo forgot how to play defense he just needs to remember that he needs to play defense and like it's going to take a coach to tell him lock the f back in like i'm not washing my hands of it like he was not very good on defense for the large portion of this year but it's his issues were very different from wendell in my opinion i've seen people say that paulo misses rotations and things of that nature like i personally disagree like i just don't think he gave a shit and like that's i'm not again like that is an issue to me it's just much more low-hanging fruit than not processing what's going on
1: yeah no i'm there with you um Let's talk about the offense, too, because Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's been really awesome in the tournament and what I wrote about with that Texas Tech game, not to keep harping back on it, but, like, um, I think we've seen him be a lot more active as an off-ball player, which has been really enticing. So so Um, much better. Like, it's it's awesome. Like, he's doing stuff on relocation. He was doing a little bit more as a screener. Um, We've just seen him be – and I think part of it, too, was Duke being a little bit more inventive with game planning. Um, But – I mean, ultimately, he just looked. He, I mean, he's offensively. He's been really impressive. I did. I will say though, in the in the Carolina game, uh, I think part of it was just how much everybody else was struggling offensively. But it became a lot of Paolo go isolate this guy and see what happens, and he was really damn good in it. But also, like that's just you're not doing a lot offensively to actually put everybody in good positions, and I think that hurt them down the stretch.
0: So I think Paulo kind of as good as he was in the, for large portions of that game, I think he kind of later in the game went away from what makes him so unguardable, which is the versatility and, and yeah. stretching you out to then punish you with strength while you're retreating downhill. It was, and this has kind of been my issue. Um, a lot of times we've heard Paulo's just so unstoppable inside. Just go inside, go inside, go inside. It's like, no, then you become predictable as hell, and yep. like you're not leveraging what makes you so good, which is the fact that you're six ten. You can so space the catch and shoot. today. Like, there's real versatility, and even if it's like, quote unquote, a
1: less efficient shot, like making uh, thank the you, defense thank guard you. you the entire. You. Th- th- you have to, you have to force the defense to actually care about what you're doing across the entire floor because if you're if the defense knows all right all you're going to do is try and post up somebody who's six foot nine six foot ten taking off the bounce they'll be like okay we'll send late help and hopefully you'll miss a couple and then we know you're going to keep that's, doing it and that's what happened in, in the carolina that's what
0: happened. game like and that's what happened
1: brady manic like I, I i know that he's he's like very gangly looking and looks like he can pick down <laughs> him easily and Palo did he just launched quite a few times but like Okay, Armando Baycott's r- rotating over because Mark Williams is just sitting in the dunker spot, or um, you know, like maybe roaming a little bit in the paint. And uh, I just, yeah, I- I'm there with you. I-, I didn't, I really did not like the way that Duke set him up in that game.
0: And and, and I mean, it's Duke set him up, and Paulo forced the issue a little bit inside. Yeah. Like it, it's just you know, it's two ways. We're gonna hold all these prospects to the same standard. Paolo forced the issue inside. Um, what I have loved Duke to. to run like an inverted pick and roll or with like him and Wendell or something. Absolutely. But it didn't happen. And Paulo didn't recognize that he was kind of just being a bowl in a China shop down low against discipline help and didn't and kept forcing the issue. But again, this is what I was getting at. Like Paulo taking pull up mid ranges matters. Paulo taking pull up threes matters him getting up. A bunch of threes, it all matters because it makes the defense respect you because then they close out and he rips and he's dunking. Like if you you lose what makes him special, if you just pigeonhole him into quote unquote what he's best at, which is just like punishing dudes down low and drawing multiple defenders and then hitting drop offs or spraying out skip passes. Yes, like technically is that what he's best at? Yes, but when you just go all in on that and don't make the defense respect you or stretch you, like you're just going to allow them to wall up and hope for the best. And they did. And he missed. And like, he was overwhelmed inside. And I did think, you know, in a vacuum, yes. What Paulo is best at punishing dudes uh, with the frame and the touch and the footwork in a vacuum. That is what he's best at. However, from a granular perspective, what he's really best at is just like hitting you with eight different things from, four different locations on the floor in a span of five minutes and you're like what what the hell am I supposed to do and the coach is like who the hell is supposed to check all these boxes and the answer is you can't when he's at his best and I did think it was from Duke and from Paula's perspective uh a little underwhelming to see them kind of just trying to like jam the square into a like a square into a round hole like whatever the analogy is and just like not take like a step back and be like whoa like Let's make them think a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm there with you. Um, you want to transition to talk about Mark Williams. Mm-hmm. What did you think of him in this game?
0: No, I think it's tough because it's, it's really hard. I, we can have a conversation about coaches sitting guys for 15 minutes with two fouls till we're blue in the face. Um Obviously, Markwell didn't really help his case because he picked up two quick ones when he went back in the second half. Uh, I just think it's tough. Like, he never got into rhythm. When like, he played, like, 17 minutes, um, was fouling, had a couple of questionable fouls, like, in, on defense. Um, I mean, he had to put, like, a couple dunks and putbacks. Like, I, I don't – it wasn't – I struggle to, like, really take anything away. Um, I don't really think he could get into any type of rhythm. Um, did you have any more, like, concrete thoughts? Not really. Yeah. Um...
1: Like I thought he, he was pretty good defensively when he was able to play. It was just the fouls was definitely an issue. Um, but again, like taking him out early felt like it really took him, it, it made it impossible for him to get into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. And it's just frustrating too, because he was, I mean, he'd been so good this entire tournament run. Uh tough way for the tournament to close out for him. Um I guess one thing I will ask you though, where are you at with him as, uh, as like a short role playmaker and just his ability, not even that he's a playmaker, but his ability, even if he is able to make decisions. Cause I do think decisions. Yeah. um, I thought he was overall really good in the Texas tech game, but um, when Texas, like, okay, so Texas tech playing no middle, if he caught the ball, he was getting two to the ball. Like, I do think you, you saw a lot of the, um, And not that this can't be worked on, but like I think you saw a lot of the processing stuff there, where it was like, "Oh, okay, this isn't this is not awesome." Like, and not that he has to be, but I do think in time, like ideally, he's going to be a lot better at that.
0: Yeah, and I I think it's definitely a bigger room for improvement for him. Um, But I do think like the that there is a context in which he will be given opportunities to make those reads like defenses are going to have to respect the hell out of him on the roll he is mm-hmm. a legit lob threat and what i like most about him is he has some touch in, in yeah the he paint. does have
1: very good touch i want to bring that up and here.
0: and so like if he is called on the short roll you're not going to be able to just like stay home and and just like hope that he like fumbles it into a turnover or misses it like he has real offensive skill which i think is going to aid him when he's operating on an advantage as the roller um, just in this certain scenario to then be given certain reads. And I'm not like saying that it's, Oh, like he's going to draw rotations and he'll automatically know where to spray the ball. to. like, that's hard stuff to do, especially when you're seven feet tall. But like the, when I, the difference between him and someone like Coloco to me is that like Coloco is still needs to ascend to that next level where he like is comfortable catching it, putting it, taking one dribble and hitting like a little turnaround post hook. Mark can already do that. So yep. I think we can just like rely on him to score and be a play finisher early on, wait for defenses to kind of catch on to that and respect him. And then we can slowly build up to these reads. Um, I just kind of like his foundation as a roller and a play finisher a lot that I'm willing to kind of bet that over time um, he kind of figures out to some extent. Now, I don't know. I don't, he's not necessarily like high. He just probably showed like no, I mean, he's been better as a playmaker compared to last year but not necessarily anything uh, crazy, especially like big man passers that we've seen. Yeah. But I, I my like, point is that like, I like the foundation the that he's working yeah. with.
1: Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. Um, part of what I think is important too, like when we're talking about some of these guys, I don't like, I mean, you know, I don't love just like chalking everything up the archetype, but like, I think of it more like, okay, like let's look at somebody like Mitchell Robinson, who is a really quality defender. He's been inconsistent, obviously partially due to injury, but um, turned it up a little bit of, of late. But like he is not a good finisher, um, outside of dunks and lobs. Oh, like, yep. And I think that's what what you, where you see a separation because like, if Williams was not able to, like you mentioned, if he wasn't able to do, um, like he's not somebody who I think can catch the ball and then take it, uh, like like do anything north south with a dribble. Like at least I feel like we really have not seen that much of that. Um, but like you mentioned, okay, if he gets a seal, he's able to take one dribble and get the ball up, and he does it really quickly too, which is nice to see. Um, like that's not something that even like Mitchell Robinson is that great at right now. And I think he's somebody who like has, not that he would be defensive player of the year, but last year he got some DPO DPO buzz because of what he can do defensively. And there are still some issues with putting him on the floor because of uh like you are not even issues. I should, I should say, but like you have to do so much with your offense to make it more viable to have him out there. Because if he's not, if he's not in the dunker spot or getting opportunities for lobs it makes it tough. So like, that's where, you know, talking about like Williams and Coloco, um, and Walker Kessler is really important because having the ability to, um, make the defense care, even if you're not, um, going to necessarily be taking shots important. Uh, what do you think about Mark wills defense projection? I think it's good. Not great. I don't think he's a guy who I ever view as being switchable. Um, maybe some people disagree with that. Like he has mobility, but he just has really high hips, um, so, like, maybe if some – like, that's just not something that I think we're going to see ironed out, and I don't think he has foot speed to really match up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, like, if he works in hand activity and he starts doing some things uh, to just, you know, like learning the ins and outs of of playing, um, playing defense, like, I could see him being, like, a real semi-coverage versatile guy. Like, somebody who could come up and play close to the level um, or playing, uh, like, more in center field. Um, and I, I think, I mean, he's shown real ability as a drop defender too, obviously, like that Duke's entire defense was Mark Williams save us. Um, so I, I like, I don't, again, I don't think that he's like the most covered versatile guy or anything, but I think he shows enough where I'm like, not that worried about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, that's what I was asking is like, to me, the pitch isn't necessarily covered versatile, like at least not initially, yep. but like if you're looking for a drop big who can do things on the roll and just be huge and you have creators who are looking for lob threats like that's your guy um like the drop stuff is real um to me at least he's not necessarily like the he doesn't have the lightest feed he doesn't have the quickest pop time but like one thing he does he's freaking ginormous and like the wingspan the length and he knows how to get vertical uh he was great contesting and altering shots around the rim all year um so yeah, that's what I was just asking. I think he's someone that's very, it could be team team by team. Uh, obviously, it doesn't fit your scheme. If you already have centers or you're looking to play through your bigs a little bit more, it's not necessarily someone you're going to want to prioritize, but uh, there are definitely teams out there that backup centers are like a massive hole as we've spoken about no such thing as replaceable. If you're an NBA player, you're going to be a player. And uh, I think Mark Will has a really projectable and, and valuable skill set to me uh, at the next level.
1: Yeah, he's somebody who I think I need to move up my where I'm at with him theoretically a little bit um, just because I do think like right now to me, I view him as even if he does make a couple of strides, like to me, he's probably more of like a 20 minute per game guy, like your first pick off the bench who gives you some ability to to play with more size um but again like we mentioned if some stuff does come along with short ability, um or he is able to to generate some more stuff on the inside or like there is like like i don't know if i see it but like maybe if there is something that comes along with like okay a 10 foot jumper or something like just like a quick something quick to to make the defense pay for leaving you open i do think if he's able to develop more of that stuff then there is a chance for him to be a starter which is why i probably do need to move him up a little bit but um, yeah, I feel like we're definitely in the same boat with him. Did you want to hit on Keels at all? I know we we hit on Keels quite yeah. a bit
0: earlier. Um, I he kept them in the game and yeah, like he was, was, was he was their second best player, no uh, like full stop and at times was their best player. Um, obviously Paulo is Paulo, but Keels made a ton of big plays, hit a couple of big threes. Um you know what I like about it, like he hasn't really shot the ball well this year uh, and kay has been even said it in one of his like in-game interviews, which like Trevor hasn't been playing that well for us lately, but like he hit a big shot. I mean, think this was in like the sweet 16 early game and he hit a ginormous three with about two minutes left and stepped right into it with no hesitation. And like that stuff matters to me. Um, it hasn't been especially in like contrast to someone like Christian Brown, which we were talking about earlier. Uh, the creation stuff like it wasn't anything new um he had a really good inside hand craft finish but like isn't necessarily getting all the way to the rim and all of a sudden elevating over people it's getting to the paint using strength creating a little bit of space and then relying on touch for the, on these little push shots or or getting it use, using some finishing craft but um i thought it, it's ultimately going to depend on the shooting because um uh, and we're I, again we're I was talking to zach milner uh off the show and we were talking about how like Kiel's skill set is very advantageous and pretty good for like a shooter like a shooting guard and a shooting role uh I like the handling is good as a complementary skill the finishing and inside and in between scoring is good as a complementary skill like you're not getting him to be a slasher or a secondary creator it's a floor spacer and then can attack closeouts run secondary actions make up passing reads here and there and uh so I think we can harp on it till the death, but like a lot of it's going to be predicated on the shooting. However, it was really good to see him score the ball inside the arc, get into the paint, and use the tools he does have.
1: Yep. Nope. I'm right there with
0: you. Um, do you want to hit on any other guys before we get out of here? I uh, think no, that's that was not Russell's work. Yeah, right? that was kind of that was yeah that was just a bit. It, which was a lot. I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of basketball. It was a great end. It was a great basketball weekend. Honestly, like I, I do feel like we got three good basketball games uh, with the national championship being. Coming down to the Von Obsession. Uh, you can't ask for anything more than that.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, man. Well, we will have uh, a lot more stuff coming uh, moving forward. Um, appreciate everyone for listening. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want to hear from you. Send us any questions, comments, thoughts. Um, we really do want your feedback. We want to know what you think. Um, Jake, this has been fun to everyone listening. Thank you for listening. Most importantly, have a good rest of your day.